0: Today's, um, not just today's gospel, actually, the readings from last night going all the way into today have been about God's call for all of us to discipleship. And especially in our generation, I think this message is particularly important because our generation is all about do-it-yourself, right? We all think that we know how to do everything, and when we don't know how to do we Google um, and figure we can we can get it. The self-help section has gone from like a couple of rows maybe in... in uh, it's chapters in Canada, in uh, Barnes & Noble, to now like multiple rows. Because no, no one wants help. Nobody wants anybody to tell them what they need to know. And so here we read about part of the Lord's calling of the Twelve, specifically the calling of Levi. And... We'll go through some of the readings shortly. But the Lord intentionally called 12. The Lord intentionally called disciples. He didn't need to. And in the Old Testament, He also had 12 tribes. And in Eden, rather than creating Adam and Eve with all knowledge intrinsically inside of them, which He could have done, instead He made them learn. He made them have to ask. He made them have to be instructed. right? He could have, in this original design, had everybody magically know everything. It wouldn't have been out of his power, since he himself knows everything. But instead, God wanted us to learn. He wanted there to be a concept of discipleship. I think the reason for this is because of love or self-denial. Because if I was intrinsically complete, then I would have no need for anybody else. Right? If I have everything in and of myself, I have no need to look outside of myself. I will look towards myself for everything. If I think I have, then I'm not able to receive. And if I think that I have, the reality is that I don't. And Christianity is discipleship. Okay? You cannot be a Christian if you are not a disciple. And this is why God appointed for us teachers. This is why he appointed the twelve. In the Old Testament, he appointed judges and priests. Right? He did not just say, go and do whatever you want. That's why there's this famous line in the book of Judges that gets repeated over and over. And in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this was not seen as a good thing. Right? This was seen as a bad thing, and it was a problem. And this was why God appointed judges, to say... Why are you all randomly doing everything thinking that you know what is right? And so instead he appointed those who are doing something right, right, who are living according to what he had actually wanted and said, no, these are the models, these are the guides, these are the instructors who are doing things properly. And so I trust them. I'm appointing them to be the ones to discern for you how things ought to be and how the law ought to be applied. And you would think that the law is just straightforward, but clearly it's it's not, right? Because this is why they had to go to people and ask. Even in this gospel reading that we just read, the people were angry with Christ for how he applied the law, right? They were coming to him saying, what is wrong with your people? They don't do this and this and this and this. They don't fast like everybody else. Your 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 disciples are loose, is really what they were saying to him, right? And it's funny that of all the people to accuse, is God himself, right? Is that this is who they're having a problem with. But he understands the point of the law. He understands the point of what he's teaching better than anybody, and yet people have a problem even with how the maker or author of the law himself is applying the law, right? Which shows that there there is a need for discernment. There is a need to know how to um, apply things. And what... And so our God-appointed teachers, and what a teacher should look like is God. A teacher should look like Christ. His behavior or her behavior or conduct um, should be resembling Christ. And this is why in the Pauline, we see St. Paul warning the leaders, you know, don't abuse your authority, right? Don't don't be, if you're a parent, don't um, provoke your children. Right, if you're a, if you're a, a master, if there's slavery, there's slavery in that context. It's like be kind, be kind-hearted, and so our Lord appointed judges, he appointed priests, and he also, much to our chagrin, appointed parents. Right, is that these were the the three places of discipleship that our Lord appointed in the Old Testament, and that's why even in the commandments he says, obey your parents for. You will, it will be well with you all the days of your life. It was the only commandment with, with promise. It was the only commandment with a with reward written right into it. It was to instill in us the need to be instructed, the need to have discipleship. So the opposite of discipleship is the person who thinks highly of himself or herself and thinks that they know what they need to know. And we saw this in the Vespers Gospel last night, um, which the wording was very telling. Like the wording is is not just "Oh, when it happened that a Pharisee enters the temple." Instead, it says very specifically, "He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others." Right? Is that they had in them the exact opposite spirit? They were coming in with an attitude of "We understand, we know, and these other people don't know." And this is why Christ opens his mouth to talk to them about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the person who is justified was the one who was humble. The one who came in and saw himself as empty was the one who God exalted. It was the person who God said, no, this person had the right spirit because this person is able to learn. Imagine, since we're at the the Olympics right now, Imagine an athlete who comes from a young age and just says, I don't need a trainer. I've got this, I already know. That person is not likely going to be the one who goes home with the goals. Because even if if you think you understand the concept, which you might, you might understand the overall concept, you can't be the evaluator of yourself. You are not going to be able to the one who sees yourself. Imagine a swimmer who's in the pool. The swimmer can only see directly in front of them. They can see the goal towards their heading, but they don't know if they're swimming on a little bit of an angle unless they w- realize suddenly they're on a diagonal. Right? They don't know if their form is poor. They don't know what exactly they're doing unless there's somebody on the outside who's able to look at them and say, no, even though you know what you're supposed to do, you're not doing it. What you're actually doing is X, Y, and Z, and this needs to be corrected, and this is how you're going to arrive at the goal. This is why you need that outside person. Even if that outside person isn't the most perfect human being on the planet, at least they're an outside person viewing what you are doing in an objective way. Whereas when you are evaluating yourself and you think you know everything, in your subjective view, you are walking right but you are not, just like what we saw in this gospel reading with those who approach Christ. They believed that what they were doing was right, but they were actually mistaken in their interpretation. And so a person like this Pharisee, however, who walks into the temple thinking he knows, is a person who is at great, great, great risk. Because the person who is is righteous in his own eyes, and the person who believes that he or she is the instructor and the teacher is going to fall a hard fall, right? These are what we call the right-hand wars in monastic literature. literature. The person who's over-righteous, Darbyamini, right? Somebody who, who is, is leaning towards over-righteousness. And this is a very dangerous state to be in. We read a story in the Desert Fathers that's very... It's a classical story that gets repeated over and over because it's an important story, right? There's a story of a monk who believed that he was righteous, And in fact, he was righteous. He was doing many things very right. And as he prayed more and more, the devil took advantage of this. And the devil appeared to him as an angel while he was praying and said, Blessed are you, Father, for you are a man of prayer and you are a righteous man. Um, The Lord has seen your righteousness and has sent me to, to be with you in prayer. So, this monk was delighted with his progress and how wonderful that he was, not recognizing that it wasn't a really angelic being to begin with, and he goes to his Abba out of duty, not because he wanted instruction, but because he felt that he's supposed to, went to his father and told him, and his father immediately recognized that this was diabolical, and said to my son, I don't believe that this is truly from God, And I would encourage you to ignore it and to pray as you have been instructed to pray. The disciple said, Of course, Father. Went back to his cell and said, My spiritual father is jealous of me because he doesn't have an angel appearing to him. And so it is better for me to keep these things secret so that I don't lose the blessing, but because my father isn't where I am at. And then he found himself withdrawing himself from the community. Instead of praying the communal prayers um, of, the mo- of the monastery, of going to the midnight praises, of attending vespers and these things, he thought, no, these monks are not where I am at. They don't understand prayer like I do. They talk, they joke, they do these things, whereas I don't benefit from that because it is not righteousness, it is not holy. And he withdrew himself from the assembly and found himself more and more withdrawn in his cell where he was encouraged more and more diabolically, but he didn't recognize it as such. There'd be more and more visitations of this angel who would pray with him, prostrate with him, sing the psalms even with him. And his brothers came to him saying, you know, brother, you've, you've withdrawn yourself and we're worried about you. We miss you and we wish that you were among us. We wish that you were in our community. And instead he said, thanks for your concern. I'm okay. Pray for me. Cut them off. Is very short with them because he wanted to live the way that he was living because he was right in his own eyes and it's a dangerous state because in his view what is he doing wrong nothing he is praying what's so bad about prayer and so there is this this spirit of arrogance while doing right things but not interpreting it in the right way not doing it in the right spirit until finally this angel tells to him blessed father the lord has seen you worthy to be taken up to heaven just as elijah was And we will come for you on such and such morning, stand on the monastery wall, and we will come to you with a chariot, and the Lord will receive you to himself. Of course, he threw himself off at this vision of a chariot, only to land on the ground and almost die on the spot, and thankfully didn't, um, because he was able to repent before he did depart unto the Lord. A Pharisee. Or a self righteous person, or a person who is righteous in his own eyes, who looks down upon others, is in great spiritual peril. You need a disciple, you need to be a disciple in order that you may have these outside eyes to save you from these things, to teach you how to interpret it. Most of us are Pharisees and don't realize it. Most of us are quick to talk about how wrong it is to be a Pharisee, but most of us, myself included, are Pharisees. Most of us are telling people how they ought to conduct themselves. Most of us are good at saying a principle to others that we have heard and that we have learned, but do not truly live it ourselves. We are typically doing something against it because we want to be comfortable. And this is why we need to have the opposite of this Spirit, and we need to have a spirit of discipleship. So in the Pauline epistle, St. Paul talks about how we need to be disciples to everybody. right? That's why he says, if you're a servant, be a good servant, he says. right? He says, make the most out of every situation that you're in. If you're a servant, be a good servant. And he says, don't do lip service. He goes, treat your master like he is, like he is the Lord. Not because it is a right that there is slavery. Not because it is a right that you are a servant. He's saying no matter what you are in, treat it like a lesson. And if you do this, you will benefit. And then he talks about armor. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Can you imagine a soldier who thinks he's protected just because he has these articles on himself? Imagine if, if some soldier just says, oh, I put on a an armor plate i've got a breastplate of righteousness whatever that means right i've got a sword i've got a helmet and just gets thrown into a war is it likely that he's going to actually be a successful soldier just because he is wearing these things i don't think so is it a benefit to him sure like there is some value to him having on i think but if he doesn't even know how to hold a shield then his enemies are gonna are gonna have a field day with him or it's like he doesn't even know how to hold his sword Right He's not even using his shield right. This guy's weak. let me take him down. And his armor was of very little benefit to him. These things are not intrinsically of value until we learn their usefulness, until we understand how. and how do you learn if you are not taught? This is why we have to have a spirit of discipleship. There needs to be somebody who's valiant in war who's fought battles and who's probably been injured in battle, who can come and say, this is how you fight. This is how you hold your shield. This is how you use your sword. This is the strength of this weapon, right? And that can also tell you, if this is where your weakness is, then, then fight this way so that your weakness isn't exposed, right? This is the, the value of having the, the teacher and the guide. And that's why, again, when we look at the monastic stories, there's a famous story of, uh, of a new novice who was assigned in Abba. He was assigned an elder. Usually you chose your own elder, but in this case he was assigned. And he was so angry because he went to sit with his elder, and his elder just wouldn't say anything. He would go about doing his daily routine and wouldn't open his mouth. And so the kid went to the other elders and he said, I'm leaving. This guy doesn't care about me. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't teach me. I'm looking for the person who's going to tell me these wonderful words, and I got nothing. And so the elders went to his Abba and said, What's wrong with you? The kid's complaining that you're not teaching. And the elder said, If he can't learn from my silence, how will he learn from my words? Right? If he can't observe my way of life, and see how I am living, then why does he think words are going to help him? Because the spirit of a disciple is one who is watching everybody and saying, how does this person behave? Instead of looking at people as bad, looking unholy and as unrighteous, right? they look at people to learn. Instead of saying, oh, these people that I work with are horrible people, or yeah, my technician and my assistant and my nurse and my whoever it is and my my supervisor, these are non-Christians. Why not instead open your eyes and look at them as models for you and say, I used to do this when I was a student, where I would be able to sit down and hear people what they were talking about during breaks, and I was very moved by a lot of people. Where there might be somebody who's an atheist, but who's going through all sorts of suffering, and I was like, Lord, grant me the patience that this person has. If I was in this person's shoes, I wouldn't be so patient. I'm actually a very impatient person. Lord, this person who you've put in front of me, this person is able to have a spirit of gratitude in spite of having very little. Right? I remember having technicians who, and staff at one of the places I was working at who had saved their money to buy a Nintendo Wii so that they could get together as a big group and play bowling in their house because they couldn't afford to go bowling every week at another place. And in my mind, I'm like, I could buy a Wii with like two hours' salary. Right, but I didn't have that sense of gratitude that they had, or that enjoyment that they had, and yet they had a sense of community that was real. They loved one another. If we have a spirit of discipleship, we can find anyone in front of us as a model of virtue, instead of seeing ourselves as the ones to teach others virtue. If I have a spirit of discipleship, I can learn virtue from anyone. This is why there's a, a famous story of, of St. Macarius, who was this great elder, Right and teacher, and we see the story of Saint Macarius that one day he goes to a little kid and he says, "I have a question for you." Instead of being the one to teach him, he says, "Sometimes I'm hungry and I'm supposed to be a monk, but I get hungry." And the kid says to him, "If you're hungry, eat." And he's like, "Okay, well, what if I'm still hungry? Eat some more." And he goes, "What if I'm still hungry?" He goes, "What are you, a cow?" Right? And so, and then my favorite line is that it says that Macarius left edified. That was how the story ended. And Macarius left edified. He allowed this child to be the teacher rather than for him to assume the role of the teacher. He assumed, even though he was the Abba, he took the role of disciple. Right? We all have to take on the role of disciples. We see the story also of St. John the Short. Right? St. John the Short who watered a stick. And we all Think of St. John the Short as this guy who was so blindly obedient and wonderful. I have no doubt from the other stories of St. John the Short, because he made a lot of mistakes and he did a lot of good things, that St. John the Short probably thought what he was being asked to do was ridiculous. Okay? I don't think that his blind obedience cancelled his mind. He knew that what he was doing made no sense. But why was he doing it? He saw in his elder, Bimwa or Pambo, that something in him was right and worth emulating. And so he said, if this is how this man became this man, then I'll do whatever he asks me to do, even if it's ridiculous to me. Right? The spirit of discipleship is not one who constantly evaluates others, but instead says, how can I um, grow? And this is why, in the Catholic epistle, We read St. John saying, whoever says, I love God, but doesn't love his neighbor, is a liar, right? And yet this person who thinks that they love God probably thinks they're in a good place, right? They probably think, oh yes, I love God. God is so good. God is so great. Blah, 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 blah. And have all these wonderful words about their God. Whereas the person who is in Christ truly, the real elder, is able to discern, no you don't. You don't. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. You need this outside person who can interpret for you what you're doing wrong. Saying, if this, then that. These two things are contradictory, even though to you they might seem very logical. And so we need to find ourselves as Abba. We need to be in Christ. And who is the true disciple? A true disciple is somebody who follows Christ. Right? What is the subjective measure is Christ. We have ourselves elders, we have spiritual fathers, we have guides. But if this person is not in the image and likeness of Christ, then they are not the person to be emulating. And who is the person worth emulating? The person who is ready to die. The person who loves is a person who denies themselves. This is the gospel. The gospel is to love God above all and my neighbor as myself. What is it to love? Greater love hath no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. So the maximum potential of love is to die for one another. Why? Because love is self-denial. The most complete way to do this is to die. But everything on the relative scale of this death is for me to slay my will. For others. This is what it means to be a disciple is to deny myself, is to say that others and God come before myself. My comfort, my opinions, none of these things matter as much as my neighbor, as much as my God. This is what it means to be a disciple. That's why Christ said, Learn from me, for I am meek. Anyone who would be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. And if we follow our Lord to Golgotha, we will also follow Him to the tomb, and we will follow Him to His resurrection and His ascension, and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. For we are His, and He is ours. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen. five seventy-two.